Hello and welcome back. Konnichiwa, babies. It's Emily. This is Jennifer. And this is Beauty and the Screams, baby. Yes. So, we're back. Yes, we are. I thought I had something interesting to say, but I guess I don't. (laughs) So, if anybody can hear the sounds of, like, water throughout this, if, like, you start feeling like maybe you might have to pee a little it might be because you can hear fish tanks in the background it's a strong possibility and my dogs so if you hear like random tag tinkling and rubbing it's probably my crazy canines and if you hear me sounding very irritated that's probably why so yeah we're back again it is we're recording on friday the 22nd yes we are Okay, so I've kind of hinted at, like, not feeling my best the last few weeks, but, so I'm, everything's clear out of the whatever, but I went up on Wednesday to Iowa City to verify whether or not I had cancer again, and it was pretty great because I got injected with radioactive sugar radioactive sugar i came out and david was like i was expecting you to come out like glowing and i'm like fuck you dude but i guess the way it works is the cancer cells supposedly like um burn up sugar faster than other cells in your body so they throw in this like the radioactive sugar which the radioactiveness like glows under um whatever the thing is that they're looking at it with it was a, a pet scan but so the cancer cells are supposed to like absorb the radioactiveness and like glow when they do a scan and there was no cancer anywhere from my eyebrows to my knees so you're saying there could be some in your brain or in your foot i mean potentially but i doubt it But that's where they scanned me. It was from eyebrows to my knees, and there was nothing. Well, that's good. I was very happy to hear that, actually. But, I mean, I'm sure you knew I was going to be happy to hear that. (laughs) Uh, I was relieved. And I explained to the doctor, like, why I was worried. And she goes, I'm sorry that they did that to you. And I'm like, yeah, it happens. Some people just don't think about how maybe they're approaching the situation. Like... But also at the same time, if they had cause for concern, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. So, but it turns out my lymph nodes and all those things are pretty much the exact same size that they were when I had my surgery in the first place. I just got to freak out for a month and a half for nothing, but that's fine. I'd rather know than not know. So it's true. That's why I kept telling you. I was like, it's better that you know now, though. Like, and luckily, yeah. Then like five years from now. Yeah, because this all started because Jennifer's back has been hurting her really bad. Yeah, and I went to go see my doctor about my back, and she sent me to have an MRI so they could see what was going on with my spine, and when I had my MRI, they noticed that my lymph nodes were enlarged, so then they sent me for a pelvic CT, and then they sent me for a chest CT, and then I got forwarded to women's health here and then that doctor sent me directly to Iowa City like because she didn't want to waste my time seeing her she wanted to send me up to a specialist so they sent me up there see and I think that's the part that like got it the most was being like I don't want to waste your time 
Yeah. Like you coming here, like, okay. So basically you're saying, because in my mind, I would have felt the same way. Like, so basically you're saying I have cancer again. Yeah. Cancer free, baby. Woohoo. Celebration. Yeah. And I don't know if everybody knows that, like what kind of cancer you'd had before. Oh yeah. Like, so in 2017, I had been diagnosed with endometrial cancer and had to have a partial hysterectomy. Um, took out my uterus, my fallopian tubes, my cervix, all the baby-making goodies. So, yeah. But anyway, she said, what was your per- your chances of... That I only have, like, a 1% chance of having it come back now at this point, like... Oh, well, that's probably super, yeah, stress relief, because, yeah. yeah. So I just have to go back once a year now for the next couple of years, and then start going once every five years, and then, yeah, we'll be fine. As long as you keep that shit checked up, take care of yourself, I think you'll be fine. You will be fine, baby. Yes. Um, I'll give you a short Tinder update. Nothing has changed. Um, I matched with some guy on Tinder that messaged me and told me, like, super straight up front, I love your bangs. You pull them off really well. I usually don't think girls with bangs are very cute, but, like, you're cute with bangs. And I was like, oh, shit, thank you. I know. But, like, also, like, give me compliments. So I'm talking to this guy, and he he mentioned something about how he thought about starting a podcast, and he didn't really know how to do it. And I was like, you know, in the beginning, you're going to feel like it's very, like, it's a lot, and then you realize really how simple it is once people start showing you easier ways to do the things that yeah. you think are so hard. So I, w- I was telling... I was telling him, you know, like, we could hang out. I could show you, like, where we... I did that wrong. I put season four and season five. But anyway, I told him, like, I would show him some of the stuff that we use, whatever. And it said he was only 25 miles away from me. So I was like, we could hang out anytime. Like, 25 miles, that's like Fort Madison. Mm -hmm. Or, like, opposite direction, like, Morning Sun, Mount Pleasant, whatever. So... Um, he says, yeah, and then tells me he lives in Winfield. So I'm like, oh my gosh, my uncle used to be the superintendent of Winfield School District. And we were related. Oh, God. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how closely related. He said Pat was one of his cousins, his parents' cousins, like second cousin or something like that. Yeah. But he unmatched with me. Hard pass, right? Yeah. <laughs> he unmatched with me. I was like, still, we could be friends. Like, funny story. Like, this we met because we were trying to find someone else. We found cousins instead. Which would be, I mean, honestly, but who has those conversations starting out? So what if I would have slept with my cousin? Oh, God. And then down the road, like, been like, oh, come to my family's Thanksgiving or whatever. And then he, we show up and he's like, hey, Blah, 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 blah. And then it, we're like mortified in the middle of our own family's Thanksgiving. Like, oh my God, I've been keeping it in the family. Gross. But that's what's dangerous around here. Like, I mean, it's true because like everybody knows everybody. They're all related to each other. Like, but I figured he might be like, oh, he's so cool, whatever. You must be have a really kick ass family. You must be a bomb ass girl. Damn, shit. Nah. But no, I'm really not looking for anything anymore. I'm just kind of at this point in my life where I'm done. So it was fun when it lasted. 
Plus, I got, like, one guy up in my DMs that, like, I kind of dig a lot. In your DMs? Yeah. And I'm going to tell you guys some dirty deeds, because I really don't care if he hears it anyway. This is the first guy that I've ever been attracted to that has a child, and it doesn't freak me out. It's an interesting change for you. Yeah. It usually freaks me out, and I'll be honest, like... I've said before, like, guys on Tinder, if I see that they have a kid in their picture with them, generally, I just swipe left because I'm just like, no, I'm not trying to be somebody's stepmom. I'm not trying to, like, I don't know. I was going to say compete for attention, but it's not like that at all. No. <laughs> but you know what I mean. I do require a lot of attention, but <laughs> um, no, it just... I think it's more so the fact that this guy is, like, very, like, stable. So, yeah. I just think it's cool. Stability makes a huge difference. I should tell you that I was going through all my stuff, and I figured out that I have enough pages to finish my coloring book now. That is exciting. Yes. I've only so, been working on this for over a year, and I'm finally done. So, when do you think you'll have it posted? I'm hoping to have everything lined up and taken care of by my birthday, but that all depends on cost so well didn't you say something about how you found a way to set it up so they don't print them all they just order it and then print as they order mm -hmm. so I'm hoping that I can do that but we'll see it's really cool though guys it's all very I mean I don't know if you like are an avid listener so you've probably already checked out Jennifer's stuff if not though like her Etsy she does a lot of like um I mean, how would you describe your coloring pages? I don't really know what to, how to describe it, because I try to do things differently than other people, I guess. Like, I try to make it so it's different than what other people are doing, like, on purpose. Well, okay, so center but, focus of the photo usually is a female. Yes, uh, uh, yes, so the center focus is always a female, always, always, and then... Like, I'll include different things. Like, I did one of Cleopatra. I put Queen of Denial on it. Like, and not, like... Queen of Denial? Yeah. Um, and then have her on there with a um, hairless cat. Yep. A sphinx. And then, let's see. I did a my own rendition of Medusa, which is... She only has a few snakes in her hair versus her whole head being composed of snakes. But so, she's pretty cool. Yeah. And you've done them for the zodiac signs. Yes, I've done all 12 zodiac signs. I've got several mermaids. Um, and it's not like in most of the mermaid ones where, you know, it's a full mermaid head to tail, whatever. Like, it's sometimes it's just like from the boobs up. Like, yeah, it's just suggested that she's a mermaid. So, so. my question is, did you do any fairies? I did one. Ooh, there's a fairy. I did one fairy. I do believe in fairies. I do. I do. And I have, uh, what was it, my um, zombie woman with, like, the victory rolls in her hair. Um, the Rockabilly zombie girl. Yeah. And then I've done a vampire. I am a vampire. I am a vampire. But, yeah. So, I've got a lot of... A lot of good pages getting ready to be printed, hopefully. 
So how much are you going to sell your coloring books for? Um, it all depends on what cost is to make them, but I'm assuming somewhere around $10 a book. So that way there's still profit in it, but like I don't want to charge so much that I don't sell them either. Right. So. I was sitting here thinking like 20 bucks, but hey, 10 bucks. I mean, that's a pretty decent price because if you think about the cost of a coloring book at the store and like yours is actually like yours. Yeah. That made no I sense. have, I need to make a cover for it still, but I'm thinking about taking one of them and like full rendering, like coloring it and then, but I need a title. Why don't you just title it whatever your, um, like your name and then just have it be like volume one or, cause my assumption is you'll probably make more. Probably cause I'm really digging the whole making coloring book pages aspect of doing art. Because then it's like, I can draw something and not have to completely finish it unless I choose to. Hell yeah. Because that was always my problem, like when I was doing paintings and stuff, is I would start things and then get bored of them and then nev never go back to them and finish them. And if you check out my Etsy, which is www.etsy.com slash shop slash gypsy creations 319. Anyway, so if you go there, I've got my custom spirit boards, uh, custom herb grinders. There, I can you can do herb grinder um, ashtray sets. I have obviously all the Beauty and Screams merchandise that I have um, listed on there, except for my shirts. I still have not listed the shirts, and I don't know why. I don't know why you haven't either, but yeah, and I got prints for my drawings and all kinds of stuff on there. So check it out. Um, buy something, couple somethings if you want to. If you don't want to, that's fine too, but check me out anyway, because I enjoy support. Support is great, so support one another. Support is great. Support your friends. Support your friends. Support your friends. Let's see. I'm trying to think of anything else? Not that I can think of. Um, we recently started watching the show Lore. Oh, yep. That's a really interesting show. Um, it is a Amazon Prime original, I believe. It's like a... But there's two seasons right now. We started watching it. I had watched the very last episode of the first season a long time ago, which was why it said somebody had watched it, because it's about Robert the Doll. Oh, okay. So I'd watched it as, like, research purposes for something. I don't remember. Maybe I... It was before the podcast, so I feel like it was probably, like, I listened to an episode about it on Two Girls, One Ghost or something, but I had watched that episode, but I hadn't seen any of the other ones, so. But it's a pretty interesting show because they take, like, old, like, lore, whether it's um, creatures or, like, different beliefs, things like that, and they twit, like, they show you how it tied in in the past and, like, how some of it ties into what we believe now pretty cool stuff it is cool like the episode we just watched before we came to record was about changelings mm -hmm. and at the end the whole thing though came back to the saying the old irish saying like when they'd skip rope mm -hmm. on the playground um is she a witch is she a fairy is she the wife of john mcclary yeah and that whole story behind it, like, that was pretty cool. And they did the one with the lady who'd been buried alive and why they started putting bells on people. 
Yeah, and that turned into a whole thing about vampires. I am a vampire, vampire. <laughs> but yeah, it's a pretty good show. I strongly recommend it. And you know what else I strongly recommend? What is that, Emily? That everybody goes and checks out the PFPN, the Prescribed Films Podcast Network. You're listening to the Prescribed Films Podcast Network, home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment. The shows on this network all have a common goal, providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media. The PFPN hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy. Visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com. Thanks for listening. to be the one to drop the bomb on what we're talking about today because I picked the topic and I'm super 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 excited about it what is it Emily what is it we are talking about the men that slay cereal (laughs) the men who slay men and women and children we are talking about serial killers baby yeah we're talking about serial killers i'm really really excited about it and for the first time in my whole existence of being a podcaster i feel like i have sufficient research to actually seem like i know what the fuck i'm talking about all right yeah i i got down and dirty with this one i have to go first don't i gene lafer is first this week okay so Mr. Samuel Little was born on June 7th of 1940 in Reynolds, Georgia, to a mother that he claimed was a prostitute. Oh. Soon after his birth, the Little family moved to Lorraine, Ohio, where he was brought up mainly by his grandmother. That's where all the problems start, the grandma. Yep. (laughs) And his main problem started in junior high when he had issues with discipline and achievement. In 1956, when he was only 16 years old, he was convicted of breaking and entering into a property in Omaha, Nebraska, and was held there in an institution for juvenile offenders. How old was he at this point? 16. Okay. In his late 20s, Little moved to Florida to live with his mother, working at various times as a cemetery worker and also claims to have worked as an ambulance attendant. He had then began traveling more widely and had had more run-ins with the law. He was arrested in eight different states for various crimes, including driving under the influence, fraud, shoplifting, solicitation, armed robbery, aggravated assault, and rape. Good God. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was in and out of prison for all these different things, and he claimed to have taken up boxing while he was in prison, and he referred to himself as a former prize fighter. Oh, so he thought very highly of himself. Mm-hmm. In 1961, Little was sentenced to three years in prison for breaking into a furniture store in Lorraine, and then he was released in 1964. Did he take anything when he broke in? 
Um, I don't know. Oh. But by 1975, he had been arrested, had been arrested a total of 26 times in 11 different states. Jesus Christ. In 1982, Little was arrested in, I'm going to butcher the shit out of this, in Pascagoula, Mississippi. Pascagoula. And was charged with the murder of 22-year-old Melinda Rose LaPree, who had gone missing in September of that year. The grand jury declined to indict him for her murder, however, um, and while under investigation, he was transferred to Florida to be brought to trial for the murder of 26-year-old Patricia Ann Mount, whose body had been found on September, er, had been found in September of 1982. Damn, he gets around. Well, obviously, if he's been arrested how many times in 11 different states, he does get around. Yeah. Even though Little was found to have spent time with Mount on the night that she disappeared, due to mistrust of, a, of witness testimonies, he was acquitted of that murder in January of 1984. Lucky. so at that point little then moved to california and lived in the san diego area in october of 1984 he was arrested for kidnapping beating and strangling 22 year old Lori barros who survived jesus this guy Uh, is a monster and then a month later he was found by police in the backseat of his car with an unconscious woman who had also been beaten and strangled in the same location as the attempted murder of Barros um, the month before. He, like, literally just does not give a fuck. So this must mean he has, like, issues, because who would just keep going back like that, like this, like, thrill? But then get this, for both of those crimes, for both of those women, he only served two years in prison for both of them. Hmm. Goes. Yeah. So. Not surprised. Immediately after his release, Little moved to Los Angeles, where he committed more than 10 additional murders. Mm. On September 5th, 2012, Little was arrested at a homeless shelter in Louisville, Kentucky, and was extradited to California to, to face a narcotics charge, after which authorities used DNA testing to establish that he was involved in the murders of Carol Elford, killed on July 13th, 1987, Guadalupe Apodaca, Apodaca, whatever. Apodaca? Yeah. Um, Who was killed on September 3rd of 1987, and Audrey Everett, who was killed on August 14th, 1989. All three of these women were killed and then later found on the streets of Los Angeles. So he just dumped them. Mm Mm-hmm. A few months later, police stated that they were investigating him for his involvement in at least three dozen murders that were committed in the 1980s. Due to the connection with these new circumstances, Mississippi reopened the LaPree murder case as well. And in total, there were 93 murders of women brought up against Little from numerous states. 93? This motherfucker! So... Little was tried for the murders of Elford Nelson and Apodaca in September of 2014. 
The prosecution presented DNA evidence as well as testimony of witnesses who were attacked by Little at different times throughout his criminal career. On September 25, 2014, Little was found guilty and was sentenced to life imprisonment without the possibility of parole. Finally! So, after spending a few years proclaiming that he was completely innocent, Little began to make confession after confession of various murders. And all of these confessions led to quite a few indictments, so hope you're ready for this it all started on november 9th 2018 Ooh, my 20th birthday little confessed to the 1996 fatal strangulation of melissa thomas on november 13th 2018 little was charged with um the 1994 murder of denise brothers in odessa texas after confessing the crime to a texas ranger in may of 2018 I just realized that was my 30th birthday, bitch, not my 20th birthday. Well, either way, I know what you meant. Old as dirt. (laughs) Little pled guilty to her murder and received another life sentence. On November 13th, 2018, the Texas District Attorney and Wise County Texas Sheriff's Office announced that Little had confessed to dozens of murders, totaling over 90 across 14 states that occurred between 1970 and 2005. Holy shit, and he was just getting away with it. Like, Mm -hmm. my assumption is he literally was just constantly moving. Yeah. Like, he never had, like, a stable place of residence. Did he? He was everywhere. Like, homeless shelters, people's houses, he'd have apartments. Like, he was literally everywhere. Like, he was bouncing all over the place. So, on November 15th of 2018... Russell County, Alabama, um, their district attorney's office announced that Little had confessed earlier in that month to the 1979 murder of 23-year-old Brenda Alexander. On November 16th, um, Macon, Georgia, sheriffs announced that Little had confessed to the 1977 strangling of an unidentified woman and the 1982 strangling murder of an 18-year-old named Fredona Smith. Redona. Redona. In the fall of 2018, Little Little also confessed to the 1982 murder of 55-year-old Dorothy Richards and the 1996 murder of 40-year-old Daisy McGuire. Both bodies had been found in Huma, Huma, Louisiana. Huma. Huma. Or Hauma. I don't know how you would say that, but whatever. Huma. Um... And then on November 19th um, of 2018, Harrison County, Mississippi Sheriff said that Little had confessed to strangling 36-year-old Julia Critchfield in 1978 and dumping her body off of a cliff. On November 20th, 2018, Lee County, Mississippi law enforcement officials announced that Little had admitted to killing 46-year-old Nancy Stevens in 2005. On November 21st, Richland County, South Carolina authorities announced that Little had confessed to murdering 19-year-old Evelyn Weston, whose body had been found near Fort Jackson, South Carolina in 1978. Also confessed to having killed 20-year-old Rosie Hill in Marion County, Florida in 1982. On November 27th, 2018, the FBI announced that they... 
They had confirmed 34 of Little's confessions, and they were working to match the remainder of his confessions to known murders and suspicious deaths. Little began making confessions in exchange for transfer out of Los Angeles County Prison. One of these confessions was to a cold case in Prince George County, Maryland of an unidentified victim. In December 2018, Little was indicted for strangling Linda Boards, 23, to death in 1981 in Warren County, Kentucky. Her body had been discovered in 1981 near Route 66. Route 66. Like from Kmart. Um, one of Little's victims was identified as Martha Cunningham of Knox County, Tennessee, who was 34 when she was murdered in 1975. On May 31st, 2019, Cuyahoga County, Ohio, I guess, I don't know, announced indictments with four counts of aggravated murder and six counts of kidnapping that accused Little of killing Mary Payton in 1984 and Rose Evans in 1991. Both victims were strangled and their bodies dumped in Cleveland, Ohio. Ooh. Little also confessed to killing one woman in Akron, Ohio, but he could not remember who she was. And also, he admitted to killing the two women in Cincinnati. He had also drawn portraits of many of the women that he had killed. The portraits were released to the FBI in hopes that someone could help, could help them identify some of the women. So far, only one portrait has solved a cold case in Akron, Ohio. So, in November of just this past year, in November of 2020, mm-hmm. Little confessed to two Florida murders, one of which another man had been wrongfully convicted. And the guy's finally able to get off, but he'd served like 20 years for this person's murder already, and it was Little who had done it. Good God. So, it turns out that Little suffered from diabetes, heart problems, and other conditions, because this dude lived to be 80 years old, like, um. Didn't have any pent-up anger to hold him back and cause him health problems. And towards the end of his life, he had to use a wheelchair to be able to get around, whatever. But, and his specific cause of death has not been made public, but Little died in a Los Angeles County hospital on December 30th, 2020, just a few short weeks ago. Damn. So did you know this when you picked it or like? Nope. So, and here's some pictures of that he had drawn of all these women that he had killed. And he's kind of talented. Yeah. I mean, kind of. Some of them are real scary looking. But I imagine, you know, if you draw a face every time you kill someone, you probably get a little bit better every time. Yeah, definitely. But Damn. Yeah. So, Samuel Little, as a serial killer, um, had the most confirmed murders in U.S. history and has been linked to over 60 murders total, and obviously he has taken claim for 93 women in total. Um, if law enforcement is able to confirm his ties to all of his confessed murders, Little... Little would be considered the most prolific serial killer in U.S. history. Gary Ridgway, known as the Green River Killer, was only convicted of 49 murders. Ted Bundy, 36 murders. And Mr. Gacy, 33 murders. 
So some of the most like well-known serial killers, like their body count was like half of what those guys was, and some of them like a third. Yeah. So that's crazy that he was killing that many people and being able to get away with it just by the solely the fact that he was not staying in one place. Yeah. So for most of the time, like Sam Little believed that he would not be caught because he thought that no one was looking for these victims. And although he was already in prison, the FBI did think that it was important to seek justice for each one of his victims. Mm-hmm. So, um, cause they wanted to close as many of the cases as possible. So they posted a series of chilling confession videos featuring Mr. Little on their website, along with all of his sketches that he had made of his victims hoping that people would come forward and identify people so they could try to solve some of these cases. Right. But I guess little targeted women that he, like, he would follow these people and, like, find out, like, that they were addicted to drugs or they were, like, working as prostitutes. Like, they're people that he deemed that people, like, others didn't care about. So if they didn't care about them, they're not going to go looking for them or try to figure out why they went missing. Like, right. So he, that's how he chose his victims. But his killing spree lasted from 1970 until 2005 and happened all across the country. Texas, Florida, Georgia, Kentucky, Tennessee, Mississippi, Louisiana, Illinois, Ohio, California, Indiana, Arizona, New Mexico, and South Carolina were all states where he claimed to have murdered women. Good God. Like, I don't know if men think that women just make easy targets or what, but that's annoying. Um, I definitely think so. I'd fuck some shit up. I'd at least try to fuck some shit up. I'm pretty sure I'd fuck some shit up. Like, I'm pretty sure they'd be able to find out who killed me because of the fact that I'd fuck shit up. So anyway, your story makes me think of... Okay, so did you ever watch The Confession Killer on Netflix? No. So it's about Henry Lee Lucas, and this is from like the 80s, and he gets arrested for killing this woman, basically. I'm not going to tell like the whole fucking story, but he gets arrested for killing this lady, and at the trial for his murder of this woman, he then proceeds to say, okay, I'm guilty of that, but what are you going to do about, I don't even remember what number he says, like X amount of other women that I've killed. Mm -hmm. So then... Because it's a whole series on Netflix, and it's basically, it's this guy confessing to killing all these women, but it, like, takes a turn to where he's, like, confessed to, like, 300 or some shit like that, some crazy number, and they're just pegging them all on him, supposedly, and then it turns, they're like, okay, well, we solved this one, we've solved this one, well, then other people start looking into the information, they're like, there's no way... He could have killed our daughter here on this day because he was in Texas getting married on that day at this time. Like, there was no way he could have been there. He did not do it. Yeah. And, like, the way he described, like, breaking into the houses or whatever he was doing. Um, Yeah, so it ended up being, like, I actually haven't watched the last episode yet. But, yeah, it just made me think of that because, like, confessing to all of them went in there. So I was, like, waiting for that, like, plot twist of that. He was, like, making it up. Like, he even had, like, drawings of these women, so, like... Well, Henry Lee Lucas did the same thing. Did he? He drew, he drew them. He wrote up... Like, he would write up confessions to, like, how he killed them and, like, draw a picture of them in the middle of the thing and then write the confession, like, around their pictures. Jesus. Like, 
All this stuff, yeah. And he was, like, this creepy-looking dude. Had, like, two, like, snaggle teeth, like... Well, and the thing with um, Samuel Little is, like, he wasn't really... I mean, wasn't, like, yeah, super no. unattractive or anything. Mm-hmm. Like, just like your everyday dude going and picking up prostitutes and drug addicts and murdering them. I feel like that's always a very common theme mm-hmm. with male serial killers or, like males that end up snapping and killing like what is it with sex workers i don't know and like he claims that his mom was a prostitute but they've never found anything that verifies that right so So they don't know could he just be making it up or is it true like yeah 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 he was he was on a rampage he did kill lots of people and it's crazy that it took until 2005 for them to, like, well, and he didn't even get arrested until 2012. So he'd been getting away with it for, like, over 30 years before they finally arrested him. But, yeah, you did not disappoint me on that one. Lots of death. Lots of intrigue. Trying to provide for, for my sister. Provide. Provide for entertainments. Riding on the west side. Even though I'm kind of looking forward to hearing yours. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about it. You should probably lay it on me. Okay. Well, hello there. It's your friendly neighborhood. Beauty and the Screams agent. Ugh. Enlighten us, young child. So, you know I usually go for, like, super fucked up. Like, I think the last time we did serial killers besides the feet, Well, even the female serial killer I did was pretty fucked up. But when I did Andre Chikatalo, fucked up. So, anyway, but this time I decided to pay homage to my roots. <laughs> and discuss a serial killer. Or, I guess, serial killer light, lightly term lightly coined serial killer but to one of my relatives <laughs> so uh i don't know if anybody everybody that listens knows i know a lot of people don't say their last names on things but i don't really care like i'd rather you guys feel more like what's the word i'm looking for person it's, so it feels more personal. Like, you actually know me. Because if you listen, we are friends. I don't know if you know this, but we are friends. So get used to it. <laughs> but anyway, my last name is Stutzman. So it was brought to my attention, and it wasn't until Halloween this year when I went and did trivia at the Buffalo Tavern here in Burlington. And one of the questions or sections was about serial killers, and there was someone who they wanted to know who um there was a question about Eli Stutzman and I as soon as like I heard the name I had never even heard of it him before Mm -hmm. but then I was intrigued because I was like do I get bonus points for being related even though like obviously I don't actually know we're related but I tell everybody I'm related to a killer because maybe it kind of like scares people a little bit like maybe I should Maybe, like, I shouldn't fuck with this girl. Like, she might snap. And she, pull, might, like, she might be crazy. You know, Emily on the streets, Eli in the sheets. That's what I'm saying. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Okay. But anyway, so I decided that I wanted to know more about him. 
because I thought it would be cool because how many people can say like Emily Ann Dahmer I'm related to Jeffrey Dahmer I'm Emily Ann Gacy I'm related to John Wayne Gacy hmm? okay I'm Emily Ann Stutzman anyway uh, so, basically, Eli Stutzman is known as the Amish killer. Oh. And not because of the fact that he killed Amish people, so don't let that, like, be, well, I mean, kind of, but he was raised Amish. Okay. So, actually, Eli was born in 1950 to, I don't really know if I ever wrote his parents' names down. I didn't. So Eli's father was a very high-ranked bishop in the Amish community that Eli was born into, mm-hmm. and and they also the family that or the community that he lived in was one of the most strict, one of the most strict Amish communities known as the Schwarzentruber Amish. And this group of Amish, particularly, it was 100% like nothing worldly, nothing flashy nothing you it was as plain as plain could be no makeup no haircuts no buttons on your dress no anything you couldn't do anything to yourself i'm pretty sure they all wore the the women all wore their hair in the same style everybody dressed and looked exactly the same so anyway very bland very blah so eli said eli was said to be in a very attractive young man and at the age of 16, he started attending um, youth mixers at the church to try to meet a potential wife, I guess. Yeah. So in an attempt to meet, like, a potential wife. So this is when Eli actually catches the eye of a girl named Ida. Oh. Ida. Gin, 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 <laughs> Ida Gindrich. Ida Gindrich. I doubt I'm saying it right, but... He catches the eye of Ida, and she's this beautiful, like, pale-skinned, blonde, blue-eyed, like, little Amish girl, and she's, so she basically approaches Eli first, and they start hanging out, whatever, but Ida is very happy with the Amish lifestyle. Ida, that's all she knows, that's all she wants, like, she just wants to live this happy Amish life on a farm with babies and no deodorant <laughs> but <laughs> so the important things so anyway Ida and Eli begin spending a lot of time together and the more time they spend together Ida begins to fall more and more for Eli and it was mostly just based off of the fact that Eli was so different from everybody else you know everybody followed that straight-laced Amish lifestyle and Eli kind of pushed the boundaries a little bit he was very like eccentric quirky like funny it was just very very not like the other men in their community so and a lot of the community did not believe that Eli and Ida were a good match for each other because of how good Ida was and how like rebellious Eli could be but then the more time they realized that Ida and Eli were spending together Eli's behaviors were kind of like diminishing like he was kind of calming down a little bit there wasn't so much rebellion mm-hmm. and so then they were like okay this might be a really good idea but no so then one day Eli finally just like loses his shit on his dad about 
the Amish lifestyle and he's just like I can't do this like I can't be myself I have no independence like I'm not allowed to do anything everything I do is monitored I don't want to be part of this community anymore and his dad's mm -hmm. like leave then leave so yeah dad's basically like leave if you don't if you don't like what we are doing here if you aren't happy leave so without any word to Ida or anybody else in the community Eli just leaves and Ida is heartbroken because it's with no word nothing he's just yeah. gone Ida's heartbroken but believes in her heart that Eli is going to come back that they're meant to be together that he really loves her this this and that you know being a little farm girl I mean I guess there's not much else to do with your time than just stand and wait for a man be like oh he loves me he'll be back yeah so meanwhile okay so here's Ida pouring her heart out watching the window waiting eagerly for Eli's return and then here's Eli who has moved to a different Amish community that is much less strict living with a whole new family and realizing like he loves it like he loves having that independence that he's not able to have at his community with his parents he is just living it loving it so he's with them this family for a while and then one day the wife of the farmer went in to make his bed and stuff around the house you know like I don't know how people do it in the Amish community but I'm not gonna go in and make my guests bed sorry but anyway she must have went in to try to clean up and she saw kind of like a magazine in his bed and she's like, oh, okay, you know, just pulls it out. And then she realizes not only is it a magazine and not only is it a pornographic magazine, but it is a gay pornographic magazine oh. of all men. So, of course, like, oh, my God, I'm this sweet little Amish farmer's wife. I have never seen a man poking another man in the booty. So, like, <laughs> she gets flabbergasted and, like, disgusted and she kicks Eli out. So Eli now is left with the predicament like, okay, so what do I do now? Yeah. And so has to swallow his pride because he has no other option and just goes home. And so then, you know, Eli shows up at Ida's door, giving Ida the whole, you know, I love you. I'm sorry. This is what I want. I want to be with you. I want this for the rest of my life, blah, blah, blah. And with the help and support of Ida... Um, he has to basically repent and then be accepted back into the community, which happens. And then on December 25th, 1975, so on Christmas, Ida and Eli got married. Okay. And then, so just a month after their marriage, Ida became pregnant. So then on September 7th of 1976, Ida gave birth to a blonde-haired baby boy named Danny. So, after his birth, Eli purchases them a 95-acre farm where they go to live, obviously, as a family, a growing family, and they began a dairy business together. So, about a year later, Ida became pregnant again, and everything in life was just perfect, sunshine daisies. It was everything Ida ever wanted. All people talked about was how happy Ida was, how happy Eli was. Their life was just great, wonderful, perfect. But then one fine evening on July 11th of 1977, there was a massive electrical storm that started to roll in. So 
Ida and Eli are looking outside at the barn and Eli's like, you know, that kind of worries me because if it were to strike the barn, it would, that's all of our money. That's all of, you know, and, but you know, he can see that, um, Ida's getting upset about it too and worried. So he's like, you know what? It will be fine. It will be fine. Let's go to bed. So about just shortly after midnight, he hears a loud pop that wakes him up and he looks outside and the entire barn is on fire. Like it had been struck by lightning. So together, Eli and Ida make their way outside. So basically, did I say this already that Ida was pregnant again? Mm -hmm. Okay. So Ida is five months pregnant, going out there in the middle of the night, burning barn. This is where you'll see. So Eli's version of things is that he knew that he didn't have any way to put the fire out without water. So he went to go get pails of water and bring them to the barn to put the fire out. And Ida ran into the barn telling Eli that she was going to start taking, taking out the milk, the pails of milk, because Mm -hmm. again, they're money. And I'd listened to another podcast where the girl was like, Ida went in to save the cows. Nothing I found said she said went to save the cows. She didn't give a fuck about those cows. She gave a fuck about that milk. Okay? Not the cow. So, anyway. Eli returns with his buckets of water and finds Ida incapacitated. Eli returns with the buckets of water and finds Ida incapacitated in the doorway to the barn. So, at this point, he abandons trying to even put the fire out and then runs to the nearest neighbors that he knows has a phone and is like call 911 something is wrong blah 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 blah. Mm-hmm. then the neighbors call they go over to try to help Eli by the time they get back the side of Ida that like was the nearest to the fire is like cooked like she's just you know she's gone. wait so okay. he didn't even try to move her I guess not so but Ida was pronounced dead at the scene when the fire trucks and paramedics arrived As far as the coroner could tell, there had not been any signs of foul play. Eli had told the doctor that Ida had a weak heart due to the fact that she had rheumatic fever as a child. So the doctors kind of believed that this kind of made the whole situation was just too much and it kind of just was too much for Ida's heart. Mm -hmm. It's basically, they're like, okay, so this must be how she died. So they held a funeral for Ida that was described as being like extremely like dark and somber because it was all like lit by oil lamps because you know they don't have electricity. Right. So can you imagine going to this funeral, just... Yeah, and, like, all you can see is, like, what's lit up around the lamps. <laughs> like, the funeral from, like, 1870. So after this, Eli began begins to spiral into a really deep depression, and his old rebellious ways start to come through again. So Lizzie, Ida's mother, actually moved in with Eli to try and help take care of Danny as the way that... Um, Eli seemed to be living he was not being able to take care of his kid the way that he needed to so once Lizzie moves in she starts realizing odd things that Eli's doing or odd stuff about Eli Mm -hmm. Um, he starts realizing she starts realizing that he's going out at all hours not coming home he's just gone Hmm. he gets his hair cut he buys a car all things you're not supposed to do when you're Amish yeah, all things that are completely, especially their Amish community. So then there's the ads. Ads? 
He was literally posting ads in gay newspapers, basically stating, Amish man looking for some fun. He would, he would host parties in his barn where only gay Englishmen and gay Amish men were allowed to attend. Oh. a lot of it was not seen like straight on by people because I mean he had his own farm away from everybody so it's like maybe they'd see that there were a lot of people there but they didn't know what was going on like he was very secretive like kept to himself about a lot of stuff but still people see people hear you know rumors people know things so Yeah, Eli got really sick of the scrutiny that he felt like he was facing from his community, and he decided that he was going to leave again, and this time for good. Um, So he, and from the way that I understand, it was basically like he was driven out of the community by his father and, like, the other members of the community, like, chased him and Danny out. So after leaving, Eli decided that he was going to set out for Austin, Texas. So once he moved there... Eli started his own construction company, and also, just so you know, there was a very large gay community in Austin, Texas at this time, and Eli decided to come out as openly gay and began dating a variety of different men. Um, This was all things that Eli was not shy of exposing to his son either. So, and it honestly seemed like Eli was really, really, really thriving in this new life of his, and Danny was quite the contrary like um he was young and he'd been raised by the amish so mm-hmm. i mean the electricity traffic all the things around him that he had no idea about and was constantly being exposed to he was a small child being taught that homosexuality was bad and like all and that all, other stuff and, and your dad's game right yeah. so i'm sure it would be overwhelming to anybody so but then in the fall of 1984 eli picks up a hitchhiker off the interstate named glenn pritchett so you know, once he gets Glenn in the car, Glenn starts opening up to Eli pretty quickly because I guess Eli was supposed to have been, like, super charming, like, warm-hearted, just very easy person to talk to, and they discover that they aren't really so different. So Glenn recently had left Montana where he'd been raised in an extremely strict Mormon family. Okay. So he had gotten married at the age of 16, had two children, and then had developed a drinking problem. So then he get, got divorced and went off to try and do exactly what Eli had done to just start over. Mm-hmm. Um, so at this time, Eli felt like a very kindred connection to, to Glenn. Like he was very, you know, like I know I'm exactly where you are. Mm-hmm. So he offers him, you know, do you want to come stay with me and my son, Danny? And then I can give you a job working for my construction business. And of course, this is like such a generous offer that Glenn is like, yes, you know. Right, like. I don't know. It'd be hard to turn something like that down. Yeah. So, and I guess it was a really positive thing too for Glenn because Glenn missed his kids a lot. And so he got to spend a lot of time with Danny Mm -hmm. and it was good for him. And I guess he would tell Danny and stuff all the time, like how much he missed his kids and how he couldn't wait to go back to Montana. Like this wasn't permanent. It was just till he got on his feet, but Mm -hmm. he couldn't wait to go back and be with his family again. So... Um, Glenn started to get fed up with the things that Eli was exposing to Danny, though. 
So he was not shy about constantly bringing new boyfriends around around Danny all the time or the behavior he exhibited in front of him. But Glenn, also being a parent, knew his boundaries and he was he just chose not to say anything about it even though it was bothering him. Yeah. But it wasn't until numerous construction jobs that Glenn was doing for Eli were going unpaid. And at first, Glenn wasn't saying anything about it because he's like, you know what, I'm living here rent-free. I'm not paying anything to live here. You know, I'm sure he's just behind, just a really busy guy. He hasn't gotten around to getting me my check yet. Probably slipped his mind. Well, then one night, he finally, like, confronts Eli, and he's like, okay, you have not paid me this amount of time, da-da-da-da-da. And Eli's initial response is like, you should be thankful that you have somewhere to live. Like, you have somewhere to stay. And he basically was like, no, I'm not doing that with you this time. I'm telling you straight up, like, you pay me or I'm not working anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, so they get in this heated discussion over the money. And that's the last that you hear about Glenn. So Glenn, so then the next day, Glenn doesn't show up for work. Yes, so Glenn does not show up for work, but no one seems to worry about it because Eli doesn't seem phased by the fact that he's not there at all. Like, he just hasn't even mentioned that he hasn't seen him. People ask about him, and he's just like, mm, I don't know. Mm, mm, I don't know. Oh, so, and it isn't until the police show up at Eli's door to tell him they found Glenn Pritchett's body in a ditch and he'd been shot to death. Oh, shit. So at this time, Eli tells the police he hadn't seen Glenn for the past two months, and the last he knew, Glenn had gotten a bus, gotten himself a bus ticket to go back to Montana to visit his family. Hmm. The police noticed very, like, strange behavior in how Eli was handling receiving the news that, like, one of his best friends was just found dead in a ditch. Yeah. You know, like, very nonchalant, like, oh, wow, I can't believe that. Like, right. no, I haven't seen him, blah, 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 you know, like, whereas if somebody came to my door and was like, Jessica Parcell was shot dead in a ditch, I'd be like, what the fuck? <laughs> like... You know, anyway, so they noticed this, but he tells them that story about the bus ticket, whatever. So they decide they're going to at least go check into what Eli is saying happened. So Eli, as soon as the police leave, Eli packs up, what's wrong? Eli packs up um, a bunch of like as much shit as he can get thrown together really fast and flees. No, okay. So, Eli contacts two friends that he had made while he was traveling named Dean and Margie Barlow. So, the couple lived in Wyoming and they ran a daycare. Um, Eli asked them if he would be able to leave Danny with them for a prolonged period of time, telling them that he was being framed for a murder that he did not commit and he needed to be able to go clear his name. And, of course, the family believing Eli is, like, of course, like, they're thinking, you know, best interest for Danny. Like, he doesn't want Danny to see and experience all that stuff, and he can go take care of this situation and come back. Yeah. So, they're like, yeah, of course, as as much time as you need. So, Eli takes Danny to the Barlows, leaving him with them. Danny was very, very upset because, I mean, I I can't even imagine being that kid. You literally, your mom died. Then you're taken from your community. Um and thrown into this whole other world 
Your dad the per- brings home this guy that's lived with you for how long? And you've gotten really close with, and mm-hmm. you find out he's dead. Like, then you're being dumped off with complete strangers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I fucking feel for Danny. But. Uh, so, he drops Danny off. And you, you do come to find out, like, later on, Danny actually bonds really well with that family. And mm-hmm. literally just becomes, like, another one of their kids. And he loves it there. But, um... So, Eli, though, after leaving Danny, did not go out with any intention to try to clear his name from Glenn Pritchett's murder. So, Danny proceeds to go... Wait, oops, that's supposed to say Eli. Eli proceeds to go on a cross-country... Eli proceeds to go on a cross-country spree, visiting old friends, partying, meeting up with men who would respond to his post of ads that he'd made or ads that he was responding to. So then randomly in December of 1985, so six months, um, Danny has been with the Barlows. Eli contacts the Barlows to tell them that he's intending to come get Danny because he was going to be taking Danny to visit his grandparents, so Ida's parents, mm-hmm. um, for Christmas. So then on December 14th, 1985, Eli arrived to pick Danny up. Excited that his father was back but sad to be leaving the Barlows, Danny went with his father without any hesitation at all. So then on Christmas Eve, Ida's parents were anxiously waiting for Eli and Danny to show up, and they just never showed. Never showed. And then Christmas Day came. Didn't show up for Christmas either. And then they started to really worry. And you can imagine being in an Amish community, you really have no way of reaching out or finding anything. Mm -hmm. So then they received word from Eli that their Christmas plans had actually changed last minute. And they'd went to Idaho on a skiing trip with some friends instead of coming there. So obviously... Oh, yeah, and I never said in the beginning, but Ida's parents are Amos and Lizzie. So, Dad is Amos, Lizzie's mom. So, Amos and Lizzie were both extremely disappointed because, I mean, like, why would you say you're coming and then just not show up? Like, you know they can't get a phone call or whatever. But they were relieved that everybody was fine. So, they start, they continue getting letters from Eli, sometimes written from Danny. Danny talking about the school that he's going to, how his classes are going, his grades, what he's doing in his free time. And then it isn't until that year on July 29th that Amos and Lizzie received a letter with devastating news. So Danny had died in a car accident while in Wyoming, and Eli had him buried in the Barlow's family plot as this is where the accident had occurred. So to him it made the most sense. So, when November finally rolled around with no further word from Eli, Amos and Lizzie decided to go looking for answers to their own questions. So, they did not have a vehicle, obviously, they're Amish. Mm -hmm. But they purchased bus tickets to Wyoming, where they showed up at Dean and Margie Barlow's house in hopes to being able to visit Danny's grave. So, Amos and Lizzie show up at Dean and Margie Barlow's door, and... Dean and Margie are in complete shock by the story that they're told by Amos and Lizzie. Um, And they reassure um, the grandparents of the fact that the last time they saw Danny was when 
Eli came and picked him up and he was perfectly fine. And they're like, we haven't heard anything. He did not die in a car accident. He's not buried in our family plot. Like we, I don't even know if they had a family plot, but, um, yeah, basically they're like, as far as we know, he is not dead. Yeah. So then comes the story of little boy blue. (laughs) On Christmas Eve in 1985, in Chester, Nebraska, the body of a small small boy had been found in a frozen cornfield. He was given the name Little Boy Blue due to how blue his skin was and the blue pajamas he was wearing. And the fact that they had absolutely no way of even trying to find out who this child was. No identity at all. So then, in 1987, I believe, Reader's Digest printed an article titled The Little Boy Blue of Chester, Nebraska. The article included the story of Little Boy Blue and then included sketches, like composite sketches that they'd created to try to reconstruct the face and everything. So maybe someone would see the drawing and be like, oh, I recognize that kid. So it just so happens that Margie Barlow received that issue of Reader's Digest and began reading the story of Little Boy Blue. After reading the, the article, um, Margie showed the article to her husband, Dean, and they both agreed this sounded so much like Danny. Mm-hmm. So after contacting the police, they came to try and collect any kind of evidence that might have Danny's DNA on it. And there were a bunch of books in Danny's bedroom that he loved to read And they were still in his room, and they actually had not been touched by anybody since Danny had been there. So one book in particular being The Velveteen Rabbit by Marjorie Williams, which still had full fingerprints of Danny's all over it. Oh, shit. So after running the fingerprints of Little Boy Blue and the prints off of The Velveteen Rabbit, it was confirmed that the body of the unnamed Little Boy was actually the body of Danny Stutzman. Wow. So then the hunt for Eli Stutzman started. Um, the police got extremely lucky though, in this case, because Eli filed a police report for a mi- for his stolen vehicle in Azel, Texas, and he was apprehended at this time. And then Eli was extradited to Nebraska where he had a warrant for felony child abuse. Damn. So once in custody, once, <laughs> once in custody, And being questioned, Eli stuck to the story that there was absolutely no foul play involved in the death of Danny. He stated that when he picked Danny up from Dean and Margie's, he had had some kind of upper respiratory infection and had had died in the car on the ride. Basically saying Danny had fallen asleep in the car and he tried to wake him up and he was dead. So, um, but instead of doing what a normal person or parent would do and going to find the nearest hospital... Eli makes the decision and his reasoning for leaving him on the side of the road was he left him where God could find him. His words, literally his words. Yeah. Jesus. But all the death that had happened around Eli made them start to question all of it going all the way back to Ida. Right. So at the time they began to question Eli again about the disappearance of Glenn Pritchett. And Eli's story changed very significantly from what he had originally told the police. He stated that he had been in the house that night when Glenn had disappeared. 
telling the police that he heard a gunshot but hadn't bothered to check on it that night. So you're in your own house and you hear a gun go off, but you don't go check it. Right. Right. Stupid. So anyway, then the police had actually talked to the neighbors and stuff from around there and they confirmed that they heard Eli and Glenn arguing and heard gunshots. So, there was a serious, serious lack of physical evidence in the case with Glenn Pritchett, Mm -hmm. but the fact, like, Danny's, um, or Danny, the behaviors Eli displayed, like, fleeing like he did, running all over like he did, like he was trying to avoid them, and then changing his story so drastically, you know, this, just the jury just took it right up, and they were like, no, this is a lie, he's lying. Yeah. So, he was found guilty. Of the murder of Glenn Pritchett. So all Leroy... All Leroy. All Eli had been charged with in the case of Danny was failure to report a death, which was a misdemeanor, and concealing a human body, which is also a misdemeanor. So, but as I stated, he was convicted of the murder of Glenn Pritchett, um, being sentenced to 40 years in prison. And he also... I did not mention it at all. They had went back then at this time because they were so suspicious about like Ida's death too. They went back to talk to the doctors and everything about what had happened. And they, the doctors told the police and the parents of Ida, you know, he told us that she'd had rheumatic fever and had a really weak heart. And the parents were like, absolutely not. She never was sick when she was a kid that never happened. And she was always very, very healthy. Yeah. So there, that's not true. So basically, but there was no evidence. No and, evidence to support. And they it. thought with Danny, because I found out watching this documentary about it, that you can s- smother somebody and there's no way for them to mm-hmm. know. So th- that's what they think he may have done with Ida and with. Danny would smother him. Mm-hmm. Well, like, my thing is, is like, yeah, you're, you should go over and your wife's incapacitated laid on the floor like you just leave her there like when there's a fire raging next to her like you would move her right but here's the part out of all of this that absolutely fucking blows me bitch okay so in march of 2002 after only serving 13 years in prison eli was released on parole he only served a third of his sentence jesus So after getting out of prison, he moved to Fort Worth, Texas and went on to live a pretty quiet life for a while. Um, And he also kept it to himself that he had been diagnosed with HIV when he was in prison. But then on January 31st of 2007, the police were called to Eli's apartment as he had finally become his own victim. Eli slit his own wrist, proceeded to wrap himself in a comforter, lay down on the couch, and watch television until he bled out and died. Wow. And that is the life of Eli Stutzman. That's crazy. The wages of sin lead to death. That's what I put at the end. That's crazy. Yay! (laughs) I mean, both of our serial killers ended up dead in the end. It's true. Oh, just. Oh, that's crazy. You can mm-hmm. imagine, like, 
suffocating your own kid and then just leaving their body like well why didn't he just let danny fucking stay with the barlows why 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 go get him just to kill him right well i don't even know if maybe and this is my conspiracy because obviously we're never gonna know because he's dead and danny's dead but i almost wonder if danny saw what happened to glenn and he was worried that he was going to say something. Yeah, and I don't know if Eli tried to talk to him about it maybe once he'd picked him up. And he was just like, okay, well. Yeah, I mean, anything's really possible in that in that type of scenario. Eli's fucking Stutzman. Everybody, everything that I listen to, though, where people have, like, talked about him, like, on TV shows or anything, they pronounce it Stutzman. Eli Stutzman. 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 I mean, that's in German. That would be how it would be pronounced. But Yeah, they're youth mixers that they have where they go mingle to try to find like a life partner. They sing hymns in German. Yeah. I waited so long. I wanted... <sighs> you even want to talk to me about it for days. Yeah, I like kind of said some stuff to you about it last night. Just like the end of it, but... Yeah, I was really, like, I don't know, I've never really gotten into the story of a serial killer like that, but that was pretty cool. Well, and how, like, he was tied into another big story because it was his son. I'm gonna whip my dog's ass, I'm gonna... Fight. But, but yeah, anyway. that's it on Eli Stutzman. My father. <sighs> well, anyways, guys, it was another successful episode of Beauty and the Screams. Yes, we hope you enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed sharing it with you. I literally had so much fun. So, hopefully you guys had so much fun. Fun, 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 fun. I just... I just can't... <laughs> I don't know. I can't wrap my mind around... Being an adult, not even, like, the parent, but being an adult to a child and a child dying in your vehicle of natural causes and you just dumping them in a cornfield. Yeah. Dumping their body. Like, that's like when I was telling you when we were between saving sections, like, with the dude that I did. Like, he was getting in trouble so much for years like he was arrested what i say 26 times in 11 years and they never were able to like confirm no that i he feel like someone. it was a shorter amount of time that was 26 times in 11 states well maybe that's it but he'd been he'd been arrested a lot and they didn't catch him for murder until they happened to tie dna evidence to three women then he's like oh yeah by the way i killed this person this person this person this person and 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 this person person and then here's here's the stack of pictures this person i killed all these bitches and then here's the stack of pictures of all these women that i've killed too word to your mother okay well we're getting out of here so it's been real it's been great it's been real great (laughs) but but like always um thank you for coming back we will be back next week looking more for you 
and um, with more good good yeah uh, make sure to check us out on facebook you can follow us on there you can follow us on instagram and twitter we um i will post links to all that stuff in the episode bio like every every week and send us emails to beauty and the screams at gmail.com if you got anything you'd want to say to us um, all right, so we're getting out of here. So have a wonderful day, night, time. Have a wonderful life. Exactly. <laughs>